looking for chapter at chapter four now, and we're all dealing with the resolution of the question about this closer redeemer. So, chapter four, verses one to twelve. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took uh, ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one else besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel, redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to another, and this was a manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, Your witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have <clears throat> bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the, de- of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Was it through ten? Twelve. Twelve. Then all the people who were at the gate of the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Okay. So, Boaz goes to the gate. Remember, the gate is almost like the courthouse. It's where they um, conducted city business. And he finds this close relative and said, come here and sit down. (laughs) He brings ten men of the city. These would be witnesses that would give legal confirmation to the uh, situation here. Notice that the name of this kinsman is never mentioned. He refused to restore the name of the dead to his inheritance. He receives no name in the story. And so, uh, Boaz explains to him that Naomi's come back. There's this land that has been sold that he has the right to redeem. And if he won't, then Boaz will. But he's got the first rights to redeem the land. And he says, yes, I'll redeem it. Now, if you think about this closer kinsman situation, for him to buy this land back when there is no heir means that the land reverts to him when Naomi dies. So he's really getting the right to buy land that will go into his estate. That's the way he looks at this. Because he's the closest kinsman. He's the one who gets it when Naomi dies. And then Boaz, uh, you know, mentions the rest of the story in verse 5. 
here's the other part. Ruth comes with the land. This is a package deal. So you will marry Ruth at that point, and then your first son will inherit the property. Well, he says, I'm sorry. (laughs) In that case, no deal. I can't do it. Now, I believe that this closer kinsman is the Orpa of this section. He really shows you Boaz's generosity by contrast. Boaz is willing to accept the financial losses that this closer kinsman isn't. Because think about what this would have meant. If this closer kinsman buys the property and marries Ruth, then he's got the cost of buying the property, plus maintaining Naomi, and Ruth, and having another mouth to feed, which would be the child. And when the child grows up, he gets the field. So you end up with nothing but buying the field, the outlay for that, and then maintaining Naomi, Ruth, and the son, and whoever else may come along. And so really, this closer kinsman is saying, this is too much of a blow to the inheritance. I won't have anything left for my children if I do that. You know, I can't do that. That's too much. Which shows you how much Boaz was sacrificing to readily be willing to do it himself. This nearer kinsman becomes a foil to Boaz that shows how generous Boaz is being in this situation. So then, this is kind of a weird thing, this closer relative takes off his sandal and gives it to Boaz. Now here's what I think that means. And I'll try to defend this. I think it means that he was giving the right to buy the property to Boaz. And that Boaz can now walk on this property as the owner. Now look with me, there's a bunch of verses that would apply. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 24. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. The idea is when you walk on the land... That is claiming it for yourself. That is a typical statement. You see that again in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. You can also look at a passage like Psalm 60. We're in Psalm 60 and verse 8. Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe. Shout loud, O Philistia, because of me. I think the idea of putting a shoe on Edom. The fact of claiming it as his property. So I think you give the sandal to Boaz, you're saying you have the right to walk on it and make it your property. You have the right to claim it for yours. I'm giving my right of walking on the property and making it mine to you. So he's transferring the right of redemption to Boaz. And legally now with the witnesses, he won't be able to come back and say, no, this was mine. I should have been able to get it. He is saying, you can have it. And Boaz says in verse 9, you are witnesses. I bought the land and I've acquired Ruth and the descendant will be the descendant of Malon, essentially, to inherit the property. And they say, we're witnesses and may you be like, you know, Rachel and Leah because they had many children uh, overall, and may you be like 
of the house of Perez whom Tamar, Tamar bore to Judah. It's like, huh? You know, I remember Rachel and Leah, who's Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman? Well, actually, Tamar and Perez were uh, ancestors of Ruth's family, of Boaz. Right? Remember Tamar? Who was Tamar? Judah's daughter. Judah's daughter-in-law. And what was her problem? Judah wouldn't give her any more sons. Yeah, she's uh, had a problem with husbands dying on her. And uh, she is not able to carry on Judah's family name because her husbands both died. Judah promised the third son to her and then reneged, and so she dresses up like a prostitute and has a son through, actually twins, through Judah, including this Perez, which was the father of the people of Bethlehem, which was in the lineage of David and Jesus. And so Tamar was a foreigner who perpetuated a family line that was threatened to become extinct. And it worked. And so they're saying, Ruth, may you have children that perpetuates this family line as well. That's what I see in that. Rachel, by the way, was also once barren. There may be a slight uh, reference to that in verse 11. Where is Tamar's story? Genesis 38. You said Tamar was a foreigner? Yes. Okay. I think, I think she was. That might be a little bit debatable, but I think she was. I think she was Canaanite. Questions and comments to verse 12. I always heard the sandal thing was from Deuteronomy 25, where it was like a shameful thing. That is another interpretation. Okay. But was he, <clears throat> we don't know, but maybe was he not the brother? I don't know that he was the brother, but so he was like closer maybe he kinsman. didn't have... The obligation. Maybe he didn't, and even when you had the obligation, you didn't seem to have the actual binding requirement. But, What's the shameful thing do you want to Oh, what they'd spit on you, wouldn't they? And yeah. With the sandal. Take the sandal and spit on him. And then he would be forever known as the house of the man who had his sandal removed. Right. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> That's Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 25. That's if your husband's brother doesn't... Doesn't marry the widow. Won't do... Be the redeemer. <laughs> Deuteronomy 25. But didn't the kinsman give Boaz the sandal? That's correct. The would be Boaz would have given, would the have been kinsman the one sandal. given him the sandal and spit on him because he would... No, no, they take Boaz the sandal, they like rip the sandal off his foot and spit it in his face. <laughs> but Boaz definitely did no spitting. Yeah. Yeah. The one who refused would lose his sandal. <coughs> right. So. And so the relative lost his sandal. Oh. Okay. That is an alternate interpretation of this. Maybe right. Not my opinion at the moment. Could be that it's just a custom of the time to take off one sandal and give it to the other. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's when we got it back. I don't know. Oh, it, it says that. <laughs> so initially, this other relative, he saw this as just basically an investment. Right. Yes. 
But then he sees that it's a very bad investment. <laughs> so why would you not think it was Deuteronomy 25 when that like is the context of what this is talking about and it's got the sandal and everything? There's no spitting. Well, I guess I just assumed they had turned it into a more honorable-looking thing, but they were still trying to kind of do... And I just really think the idea of treading on the property is giving him the right to claim the property. I think it's, it's, he's voluntarily... He's, Boaz isn't taking the sandal and spitting on him to shame him and say, you didn't do the right thing. The relative is saying, you can walk on it. It's your property. I can see both sides. I don't. I don't think it's impossible to do Deuteronomy twenty-five. Obviously, sandal is the same in both. Right. Yeah. And I didn't assume that they had turned it into something shameful in Ruth. I thought they were kind of like trying to base it off of Deuteronomy twenty-five without having to actually, you know. It was possible. Him I wouldn't. I wouldn't deny the possibility. And the relative just willingly taking the shame by handing him this sandal. Yeah, that's possible. You mentioned earlier uh, three passages on the idea that you had on the sandal. What was the Deuteronomy one? 11.24. There are several other passages that have that same con- kind of language, but we looked at them. All right, 13-17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the, woman said to Na- the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may his name became fam- become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and laid him <clears throat> in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Na- Naomi, and they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Well, God enables Ruth to conceive. God gives children. She had been unable to conceive, or at least didn't when married to Malon. And so this is the Lord's act. All the credit's given him. The women say to Naomi, this is still Naomi's story at this point, Blessed be the Lord who's not left you without a Redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. And may he bless you and so forth and so on. So Naomi's emptiness has been filled. Things, their fortune has been reversed. You know, she is, you know, has a daughter-in-law better to her than seven sons, even. And uh, that's just a remarkable turn of events that shows Naomi is highly favored. She says, name me bitter, I came back empty. And she has no idea what God has in store for her, which is often the case. You know, here's these two struggling widows, and yet God is blessing both of them. But it's not just that. When you look at verse 17, this is much more than that. Gary, God is carrying out a, a, a long-term purpose that they have no idea of what's going on here. Even though they realize things have turned around in their lives, they don't even realize what God is really doing. He has a purpose deeper than what they are ever able to see. This is in the lineage of David. You know, I don't know if there's some skipped generations that's a possibility. But if if there's not, what does that make Ruth, the great-grandmother 
of David. Who would have thought that out of this story, not only are we solving the problem of these two widows, but we are carrying out God's global plan for his people. Comments and questions? What does Obed mean? I don't remember. All right, 18 to 22. Obed means a servant or a workman. Thank you. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered, fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So God is working out his pur- purpose a generation at a time. You know, here's one of our problems. We don't see the whole picture. We can never see the rest of the story. We don't realize that God is doing things the last centuries, and we're one cog in that. If we only could see God's perspective, I think it would help us a lot to trust and believe and see that God was doing the right thing. So we see the whole genealogy here. Did you notice what number in the genealogy Boaz was? Yes, seven. Remember the genealogies in Genesis 4 and 5? The seventh from Adam through Cain was Lamech, the disaster. The seventh from Adam through Seth was Enoch, and Jude specifically says that. He was the seventh from Adam, and he was the one that walked with God, and God took him. Jude 14, I think. Um, And and then do you realize, in the lineage of of, uh, Adam through Seth, the tenth, which is David here, who was the tenth the other one? Noah. Noah, exactly. Genesis chapter 5. So, there's just a lot here in that. But I think Boaz's name appearing in the seventh position is, is symbolically significant. And so this leads to David. Here's a curiosity about David. Unlike most other royal names in the Old Testament, David is the only David in the Bible. All right, comments and questions. So as far as like property went, he would have been considered the son of... Obed would have been considered the son of Malon, the son of... That's correct. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. You have that sometimes in genealogies. When there is a discrepancy in a genealogy, consider the possibility that the man may have had two fathers. One, the legal father, which here would have been Malon. One, the actual birth father, which would have been Boaz. Yeah, I think, I think you've got that in some genealogy. When you see a discrepancy, that's one option. Is that we've got one of these, what they call leveret marriage. The, the, from the Latin L-E-V-I-R which means brother-in-law 
That's why they call it leveret. That's not in the Bible, but that's what everybody, if you read anything theologically, they call it. It's a kind of a shorthand to be able to talk about marrying the brother and you know so forth and so on. All right. Now I want us to do some reflections. We may not get time for quite all of this, uh, or we may, but I'll tell you where I'm going with that.